HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Underground Meats, an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. May is membership month here at Heritage Radio Network, but that shouldn't be just exclusively the month of May. You guys should be giving us some, some uh, giving us some love, you know, every every month of the uh, every month of the sweet year, and uh, um, that gives us the opportunity to be out there and uh, getting great guests like. The people that we have every week, including this week, uh, and that would be Tara Wright, the head bartender at the 21 Club here in New York City. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Absolutely. Great to have you. Um, It's been uh, about maybe a year, I'm sad to say, since the last time I was in the 21 Club, but it's one of the great classic establishments, both on the bar front and the restaurant front, uh, in not only... New York, but the United States, wouldn't you agree? I do indeed. It is a, a wonderful place filled with lots of history, But, and I know we're going to be talking about the history today, but we also always look forward, and so that's part of, part of the, the tradition of 21, being, being ahead of the curve in many ways, but also really we glory in our history. Absolutely, and I think that's when, you know, there wouldn't be... Um, well, first of all, I wouldn't have this show if, <laughs> if that weren't the case, you know. Um, it's great, you know, throughout history, and, you know, obviously it takes progress. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to honor the classics, uh, especially when we're talking about cocktails, mm-hmm. but we're always constantly, um, being turned on to new ingredients and finding out new techniques and, 
you know, I think the my favorite cocktails specifically, you know, we call them like modern classics, you know, something that you might, you know, ingredients that you would have been able to find 100 years ago, but, you know, that mixture hadn't been made until, you know, modern times. I think right. those are those are really cool. It's a good way to turn someone on to a new ingredient, but also to a classic cocktail at the same mm-hmm. time. And it seems like that's what you tend to do at uh, at the Twenty One Club, am I right? We do indeed. One of one of the things is we try uh, not to be outlandish because we are a classic establishment, mm-hmm. um, but we do also play with those classics, as you say. There are things we have um, on our current drink list and old-fashioned where we use a gastrique, which is sort of an old technique but incorporated into a classic cocktail in a new way. Um, We also, of course, make old fashions all the time and Manhattans and martinis. Um, And we play with uh, well, one of the drinks, and we, it's one that we were going to talk about today, is a lavender lime ricky, and it's adding lavender, which of course has been around, but mm-hmm. to a very classic cocktail and one that was hugely popular during the 20s, during Prohibition. Yeah. God bless Colonel James Ricky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's one of the great classics, too, and because it's, you know, especially... To modify that specific cocktail, since it's so simple, you're just talking about gin and lime, um, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of sugar, but then you're getting into the gimlet territory. But um, to modify it with fresh herbs, you know, that's one of those. It's basically you have a template that's almost a not blank canvas. Almost, uh, though. You know, right. But yeah. Almost. So you can really play around with it. Um, and, you know, um, like you were saying, with a, using a gas streak in in a uh, an old fashioned, I think that's a great idea. Any kind of like reduced um, kind of vinegary kind of aspect to throw in, you know, it's cool to use those alternative uh, ingredients, mm-hmm. and acids especially, um, you know, in in modern ways. Especially, you know, when we talk about like vinegars and gas streaks and things like that, you know, um, you think about uh, like shrubs. Yeah, um, you know when they, you would be out on the field working, and you would use that to like keep hydrated. And it's just it's really cool historically, you know. Even with those ingredients, you know, being somewhat medicinal, at least we claim for them to be medicinal. <laughs> all of it, you know, the, all of this were, was considered tonics at certain point. Every, you know, the the alcohol itself, the ingredients. So absolutely, and we still use it as a curative. Sure, it gets rid of the day's blues. Yeah, exactly, in one way or another, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, even you know, it's it's a lot of it was by chance. I you know I when you know over the past ten or so years, you know IPAs have gotten extremely popular. Well, I would say probably over the past twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the whole West Coast style of overly hopping your beer, but you know we got to remember that that's actually preservative to transport the beer. Exactly. It just happened to be a really good flavor. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. So it's these lucky mistakes that, uh, you know, we get to uh, enjoy them even more. It's absolutely true. So you have been involved with, lately, a a really cool project. Can you tell us about that? With the Great Gatsby? Absolutely. Project, yes. We, we, at 21, uh, hosted an event that was uh, a bridal event that was all Gatsby-themed. So that was exciting, and it put us all in the mood of... The Great Gatsby, which of course is 
a new mo- uh, a movie again opening um, at the end of this week. So we wanted to create a couple cocktails or or play with cocktails, as the Lavender Lime Ricky is, that really celebrated the movie and that time. So we have two specifically, and they're both gin-based cocktails um, for a couple reasons. Gin, of course, was very, very popular during Prohibition. It was popular with F. Scott Fitzgerald because he believed you couldn't smell it on his breath, so it was an ideal uh, drink. Um, Gotta, gotta be discreet, right? <laughs> very discreet, sure. Um, married to Zelda, I'm sure that's what they were all the time. <laughs> uh, but it is also, in my opinion, the absolute best mixer. I mean, of the white liquors, it just adds a wonderful flavor without it being. Um, uh, people are always like, oh, I'm afraid of gin. And you shouldn't be. It is incredible as a mixer. I think. And, I think. To just uh, support your point there, I think people are afraid of bad gin. They haven't been necessarily turned on to the good gin, right? That may be it. And I also think, you know, we we often think of liquors as our early, early experiences, perhaps when we shouldn't have been drinking them or shouldn't have been drinking quite so much. And so I'm not... I'm not advising go out and drink bottles of gin, but I think (laughs) it is a wonderful base for a cocktail. Well, that makes one of us advising that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose. Well, well you know, I have to. Um, <laughs> get to get promote responsibility. i got to promote responsibility. <laughs> but a gin is, um, so one, one, the Lavender Lime Ricky, we use Tanqueray, which is, has a really distinctive botanicals, and they, they pop in the drink. And um, the other, we're using a local gin, the um, Greensmith gin, and it is, there are lovely, more flowery botanicals to it, and it works in the drink that we have called the Beautiful Fool. The Beautiful Fool, of course, is a reference to uh, Daisy when she gave birth to her daughter, um, being told that it was a daughter, saying that she hoped it was a beautiful little fool, and it was perhaps Daisy's only true moment of self-realization in in the book, and it happens early on, but where she wishes she didn't, she wasn't just a prize. She um, wishes she had a little bit more control of her life, but because she doesn't, she wishes she didn't know that. And so she's wishing that sort of, just be pretty, be beautiful, but don't know what your life is. Right. and it, it sort of it, it perhaps isn't the the most um, positive reference. However, it's such a great name for a drink, don't it you think? It is a great name for a drink, <laughs> and actually, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a great uh, eye opener for uh, it, at least the title is for for a gin cocktail. As you were saying, you know, a lot of people are <laughs> some people <laughs> some people are afraid <laughs> of that, uh, and uh, oh, you're you're so you're such a beautiful fool. You need, you need to be drinking this gin cocktail. That's right. And I love that you uh, you're using two of my favorite gins. I mean, I love uh, Green Hook Ginsmith, and I love uh, Tanqueray, um, and I, I use those too often. Um, and so, I think it's like I think it's great, you know, especially hitting the timing, you know, with what two Ricky style cocktails um, for the springtime. It's such a just simple refreshing drink but like you know you're playing with it 
and that's uh, it's just a good time of year to like go into the twenty one and have these. It really is. It's almost getting to the point where um, the and I love these drinks. I love Manhattans and I love old fashions and I love those. But you hit the spring, the sun coming out, and you think, oh, maybe I'm not going to go for the dark liquor today. And gin is wonderfully refreshing. And as I said, I think it's a great mixer. Um, really brings out it really brings out all the other ingredients and makes them sparkle. Well, especially in spring, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's heavily you know aromatized with botanicals, and mm-hmm. it just kind of you know a lot of them just smell like you know walking through a garden. You yes, know? you're right. Yes. And um, so, can you tell us about a couple of the other drinks? I know you guys were doing you were doing four new drinks, right? We have. Um, let me see, what do we have on the list? We have the beautiful fool. As I said, we have the, the Iron Gate Old Fashioned, which is the one using the guest oh, with drink. The guest drink. Right. Cool. Um, we also have another drink called the 21st Amendment, and um, that is a drink that is style-wise much like a Sazerac. Um, oh, cool. We, we um, it, rinse a glass with Benedictine, mm-hmm. and one of the stories of 21 is that, although it was, um, Benedictine was served there, and brandy was served here. And Humphrey Bogart, while dining here, created B and B. B and B, nice. And so that's why we've uh, we've used that as the the rinsing agent, that that herbaceous um, quality that you would get from the absinthe in a Sazerac. And we use uh, the Brooklyn seventy seven rye, and we have. Um, a uh, a rosemary and thyme simple syrup that we use as the as the little bit of sweetener, mm-hmm. and it's just a very simple cocktail with a little bit of bitters, and you chill the 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 whiskey with the simple syrup and the bitters, and pour it into the the rinsed glass, the chilled rinsed glass, and it's just a lovely uh, cocktail with complexity. Um, and but just fairly simple, as yeah. I think the best cocktails are. Absolutely. Um, and, and and you know it's you know you're just using you know a five hundred and three year old uh, French <laughs> liqueur. That's right. I, I'm always cool with that. You know? Yes, of course. Yeah. And and any and opportunity to get that brings in the history as well, um, the history of cocktails because Sazerac, although it isn't really the first cocktail, often gets billed as that. Yeah. Um, but that style and using the old, uh, the older, um, as you said, liqueur, and and the new and the new rye. The, and, and you know, the, we're going back to talking about modern classics again, just from that. Mm-hmm. Which are all ingredients that would have been around. I love it. Well, Derek, can we get, uh, can we take a quick break? And then when we get back, can we talk about a little bit more of like the history of the 21 Club itself? Absolutely. All right. Back in a moment with Tara Wright, head bartender at 21. This song is called Dirty Hands by Eula on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Underground Meats is an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. They use small farms from southwest Wisconsin to source their meat. The animals are raised on pasture for their entire lives by farmers who care about animal welfare. While Underground Meats uses European traditions, they also use ingredients from the upper Midwest to try to create new types of salamis, experimenting with both ingredients and techniques. The salamis are made using heritage breeds, mostly red wattles, tamworths, berkshires, and mule foots. Try their award-winning cured pork shoulder and goat salami. To learn more and purchase products, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy, and we have Tara Wright, head bartender at 21 Club here in New York City. We've been talking a little bit about The Great Gatsby, uh, classic modern cocktails, and The 21 Club. And what we really haven't spoken about yet, just yet anyway, a little bit, but um, the actual history of The 21 Club. And would you mind running us through uh, the history? Well, I can do it pretty quickly. The, okay. the original owners, Jack and Charlie, um, opened the 21 Club on December 31st, 1929. But they had actually, this was their fourth establishment, and in a very short amount of time. They opened their first place, called the Redhead, in the village in 1922. And they opened that, uh, hopefully, as a way to support their college education. Uh, after not too long a time, <coughs> excuse me, Jack realized he was a restaurateur, and um, college did not follow through. But for Charlie, he continued on and became a lawyer, but still worked at the restaurants. Um, they moved from the first space because there were limits. They, were, they had to admit everybody. They had to shut down at 1 o'clock. It was a smaller space, but it was a space very similar to a place that was described in Fitzgerald's This Side of Paradise. So it was a very sort of fraternity kind of feeling little club in the village. When they, they decided to move to someplace where they would have a little bit more control, and they moved to their second place called the Fronton, and that was also in the village. Um, and they were able to then look through a peephole and decide who would come in and who wouldn't. But they were below ground, and there were problems with fire and floods and things like that. So they, again, started looking for another place. And they moved up to 49th Street, and uh, they, I think it was 49th Street, please forgive me if I'm wrong, too, and they opened a place called the Punch and Grotto, and that's where they really started getting a wonderful group of customers who, the important thing at that point was that they were fun to be with. So there were lots of authors and artists and um, that would come in and were encouraged to come in. And all the, all the members of the Algonquin Roundtable also became customers of Jack and Charlie's. And, and they followed them when on they, that land got bought up for Rockefeller Center. So they had to find a new home, and that's when they found the current place at 21 West 52nd Street. And they had a sort of destruction party at one and brought things over to the new home of Jack and Charlie's at 21. Now, of course, as you know, this was um, a speakeasy. Uh, they did sell and serve very high-quality liquor and very high-quality food. But, of course, 
they weren't supposed to sell the liquor at any rate. So they had hired an architect who built all kinds of closets, uh, closets behind closets, walls that were thick enough that if you knocked on them, you would, they would not sound hollow, so no one would suspect there was a hidden cache behind them. Um, but it still wasn't quite enough. And uh, there's a great story of Walter Winchell, who was the, I think, the Times Mirror mm-hmm. gossip columnist, who was late for a reservation. They'd given away his table. He was angry. Um, and he wrote in, in his paper the next day that the 21 Club had never been raided. So, of course, they were raided almost immediately after that. And they were raided. They weren't officially shut down. They were fined. There were things that were found. But because of all the ties to politicians that they had, uh, they were able to get away with, I think, one day of being closed down and paying fines. And they reopened. But what they did at that point was they built into the basement of 19 West 52nd Street, uh, a wine cellar. And they hired that same architect to come help them. And the wine cellar is, the the entry into it is in an alcove in this old townhouse basement cut along the edge. And the door is the brick door. It weighs 5,000 pounds, and it's on a hydraulic swing. And they had a special lock made where they used a dipstick from some 27 car to <laughs> open if you had to find the right hole in the mortar to get through to the lock to spring that. And that was the wine cellar. And they did store liquor there. And if you are very special customers, you get to go down there and drink. Uh, so the 21 survived prohibition. Um, they and they survived the stock market crash. These the original owners were very astute uh, businessmen, and they recognized who would who would survive all all the money problems. And they gave out script and allowed people, which basically formed house accounts for people um, as they were going through a rough time. And to, and. These people did pay back handsomely and were wonderful customers. And Jack and Charlie's always had the idea that they were in it for the long haul. They weren't quick. They were they were going to suffer losses at times. And one of the, the biggest ones was when liquor became legal because all of a sudden there was much more competition. And, the, you know, whatever cachet they had of being this really – great place with great liquor, they weren't alone anymore with that. But they did, um, they did stick to it. They decided also to open a distributorship, which they had to do, they had to set up a separate company to do that. But that was a way that they could control uh, still the liquor that came in and what they had and who got it. And the first salesman for their distribution company was David Niven, so just a little fun fact. Yeah. Um, but so that that is sort of a brief history of of twenty one in during prohibition. Uh, a great place to be. Lots of artists. One of my favorite stories: um, the Dorothy Parker quip um, when she was coming in with another couple, and the younger woman turned and looked at her and said, "Age before beauty." And Dorothy Parker quickly came back with pearls before swine. Oh. 
<laughs> and that was entering the 21 Club. She most often gets credit for the Algonquin, but we get one. We get that one. <laughs> That's awesome. She was very, she was very sharp lady, and uh, it's great that she, you know, has a gin named after her now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I love the history. Uh, this is what got me into bartending in the first place, and just well, even before I was a bartender, it's what got me into cocktails, like most people. And um, I, I love this. You know, I always loved reading the stories about places like the Twenty One Club and you know the Algonquin, mm-hmm. and, you know the Clover Club, which I actually have family ties to back in the oh. day um, uh, in Philly. You know, at the mm-hmm. Bellevue Hotel, and um, it's when I read these kinds of stories, it always I, I think about what it would be in modern times, and I it just kind of sickens me because uh, <laughs> you think about. The great authors and uh, and comedians and actors and musicians and people that were hanging out back then, and they were hanging out in these great places, having great meals and and cocktails and champagne and and just living life and just kind of uh, chattering back and forth, uh, bullshitting, I guess we could say. Yep. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. You think about a hundred years later, and you know, with all the Lindsay Lohan's of the world and and the. The, the current uh, uh, celebrity uh, groups that hang out, it's, it just, it's changed so much. And it's nice to have places like the 21 and Keene's, uh, you know, uh, right. and 36, you know, these great places with, you know, and well, Keene's and 21 both have the, the multiple room thing. I have been to 21 a few times. I, I still don't think I've seen every room and I'm, I'm not expecting to ever see the, the final ins and outs of it, but no, we do have, I mean, we have 10 private dining spaces and they're all unique and different sizes for different size groups. And there were, the one that I'm sitting in right now is, probably next to the wine cellar, where we, in 1995, 21 was bought by the Orient Express Group, and they expanded the wine cellar, and they made that into a private, they, they went into the next room, and they uh, brought in a gorgeous table, and it seats up, up to about 22 people. Oh, wow. And it is, it's got to be the greatest room in the city for a party of that size. It is still our working wine cellar, um, but you get to sit in a room where over to the side is the booth where Mayor Jimmy Walker from the 20s used to sit, and wow. it is his actual booth that was built specifically for him, and that's down there. And it just is a great room filled with history and wine, and what's wrong with that? No, not, nothing, not at but all. <laughs> right now I'm sitting in the club room, and in the club room it's all – it's. Uh, naughty pine paneled, and there are great paintings in it. It was also, there was a built-in humidor in here, and it, when we could smoke in the city, uh, people used to house their cigarette, uh, their cigars, and this was a room where they would come and smoke cigars. But there's something really wonderful and sort of old, and here I am a woman, but it's old sort of men's club feel to this room. And then there are other rooms that are just lit with gold and they get updated and changed, and but they're just, I think we have spectacular rooms, so you should come along and, and check them out. These were, at one point, parts of the residence of the original owners, um, and, I mean, that changed all through time as well, but there you have it. Yeah. It is such a great building, and, you know, like you said, every room is decorated differently, and it is really like walking through uh, a museum of New York bar history. It and, is. You know, I encourage anyone out there that's listening to go out and check it out, and 
see Tara and have some of these awesome great Gatsby cocktails. Yes, good idea. And Thanks. I, and I'll swing in soon too. I hope we're so. We're pretty busy around right now with the Manhattan Cocktail Classic coming up and everything, but you know, I can make time for this. <laughs> I hope you do. All right, Terry, it's been so nice talking to you. Delightful speaking with you as well. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Anytime. All right, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Um, Be sure to check out heritageradionetwork.org and make a donation and check out the show with Tara and I. It'll be on iTunes and archived, of course, as always, on heritageradionetwork.org. Just look for the Speakeasy. And we'll see you next week. All right, cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.